Theological education should be accessible. In the past, men have had to leave their local churches to train for the ministry. At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, you can now complete a seminary education while staying in your own church and being mentored by your own pastor. For more information on how you can receive informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, check out our website, cbtseminary.org. Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Austin McCormick here, and today I have the privilege to host Jim Sevastio on the Covenant Podcast. So welcome to this discussion, brother. Uh, Thanks, Austin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I appreciate you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, Our first question for you is, can you tell us and our audience a little bit about yourself and the church that you pastor? Uh, Sure. Uh, uh, I was uh, born in upstate New York. I was raised in a non-Christian home. Uh, In the mid-1970s, I became interested in Christianity through uh, listening to the a recording of a rock opera called Jesus Christ Superstar. And that led me to a a conversation with a Christian uh, who was at my bus stop. And that led eventually to an invitation to a Bible study and then to a a church called the Ballston Lake Baptist Church in uh, upstate New York, pastored by a man named George McDearman. And uh, George is actually still there 44 years later. Uh, pastoring that work, and it was through his labors and ministry, both publicly and privately, that uh, the Lord drew me to himself. I was uh, baptized in November of 77. Uh, Very shortly thereafter, began to uh, express really desires to share the word with others and uh, to study the Bible. Uh, And recognized that that might have some potential for ministry, Uh, began to preach when I was relatively young at 16, preached my first sermon. In 1981, I began uh, studies at uh, Bible College, Columbia Bible College in Columbia, South Carolina, which is now called Columbia International University. And then in 1986, I began uh, studies at the Trinity Ministerial Academy in Montville, New Jersey. And Uh, Sam Waldron, uh, who is well known to your listeners, was one of my professors uh, way back uh, when, along with men like Greg Nichols and uh, Albert N. Martin and uh, Robert Paul Martin and some others. Uh, And then in 1990, uh, having finished my studies uh, there, uh, was uh, asked if I could come and help with uh, a church plant in Louisville. Uh, There had been a group of 10 people that were getting a church started in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. They had begun in uh, uh, mid-1989 to meet together, and um, they were being overseen by a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And they asked if I could come and do a three-month ministry, uh, and uh, I, which I did. My wife and I came down, and while we were here, uh, really— our hearts were drawn to one another, and the people asked if I would consider staying, uh, which obviously we did. And 
Uh, we continued um, uh, here for uh, since that time. So uh, we became uh, the church constituted in 1991. In September of 1991, so we're just about to celebrate our 30th anniversary as a constituted church. I was ordained to the ministry a few weeks uh, after our constitution. Uh, so we, we constituted with 12 members, uh, the 10 that were already here, plus my wife and I. Um, and the Lord is blessed uh, through the years, uh, you know, trying to summarize 30 years of ministry in just a couple of minutes, but uh, the Lord's been very good to us. The church has grown uh, both by way of conversion as well as second generation believers and then people uh, drawn to the Reformed faith uh, from the area as well as people uh, hearing about the church and uh, appreciating the ministry and moving uh, from other places. Um, so 30 years later, we have four elders. Uh, two of us are fully supported. Uh, and four deacons. Um, we uh, were involved in a church plant in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, one of our members, Stephen Gamble, became the pastor of the Reformed Baptist Church of Nashville. We sent one of our families to Zambia some years ago and established uh, two ministerial colleges uh, over there, both of which are still uh, going on. Um, our church is involved in a number of local uh, ministries, uh, ministries to uh, open air evangelism, uh, ministries in nursing homes and jails and prisons and nursing homes. Uh, so, again, we're thankful for what the Lord has done. He's kept us unified uh, and together throughout the years. Uh, so the lines have uh, fallen to us in pleasant places, I would say. Yeah, thank you for that. And the topic that we're going to be discussing with you is pastoring a Reformed Baptist Church. You are one of the elders of the Reformed Baptist Church of Louisville. So uh, secondly, by way of question, what is a Reformed Baptist Church? Well, uh, in a very quick thumbnail sketch, I would say a Reformed Baptist Church is a church that holds both in principle and practice uh, to the uh, doctrines laid out in the London Baptist Confession of 1689. I really think that's what makes uh, a Reformed Baptist distinctive from a Sovereign Grace Baptist or a mere Calvinistic Baptist. Uh, Greg Nichols uh, said some years ago that there are five main elements of the Confession of Faith. If I can think of them all off the top of my head, that it's a, it, it is Orthodox, it is Protestant, it is Puritan, Calvinistic and Baptistic. And so some of those elements, particularly the more Puritan elements, uh, the view of the law of God, uh, particularly as it relates to the fourth commandment, as well as the regulative principle of worship, or some of those things that maybe set it apart and distinct uh, from some of our, our brothers uh, who, uh, while they have a, a broad appreciation for uh, the doctrines of grace and for uh, solid ecclesiology. Uh, those are some things they may not uh, hold to. So I am assuming it may be a degree of familiarity among your listeners with confessionalism, uh, but I think it is 
again, what I would, I like to use the term of robust confessionalism, a happy confessionalism or joyful confessionalism. When the apostle Paul told Timothy, you know, he said, you know, hold fast uh, to the word as you have been taught. And then he, he modifies that with the expressions with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus, that good thing, which was deposited to you keep with the Holy Spirit. And so we're not just talking about mere doctrinalism. We're talking about, I mean, just doctrinal faithfulness, but it is done in the climate of a robust faith in and love toward Christ. It's truth that's guarded in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I think Kevin DeYoung said some years ago, something like he said, uh, tradition is the living faith of the dead whereas traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And so we are, in a sense, a traditional church in that we are holding uh, two traditions that have been passed down over hundreds of years. Uh, and the confession of faith has you know, withstood the scrutiny of 300 and almost, uh, well, 330 or so some odd years uh, of, of being looked at and uh, studied. And so I'm thankful to have a confession like that, that has stood the faith, the test of time, and that's been used by uh, helpfully by so many throughout the years. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, yes, amen to everything you said. Um, moving this conversation forward, uh, by the grace of God, you've been able to testify that you've had some experience pastoring a Reformed Baptist church. Um, I'm sure that some of these things that we may answer next may have some overlap to any pastorate, yeah. but we're interested to see what the challenges are, first of all, to pastoring a Reformed Baptist church. Challenges. Well, I mean, they probably would say they're a little bit different today than they were uh, when I got started. Uh, I, I, I started pastoring this church in 1990, and it was a whole different world. Um, see, were you born yet, Austin? Were you Were you born in 1990? Okay. All right. No, I wasn't. Right. Just a wee bit older than you. All right. So old enough to be your dad here, right? So... But anyway, it was a whole different world back then. Uh, you, you know, the um, the the ministries that are around today weren't around back then. Banner of Truth was around back then. I think Ligonier was just getting started. Very few people would have heard of John Piper uh, or Mark, you know, Mark Dever, or all of those that have gone on to be known and uh, and and helped to popularize uh, Calvinism and, and Reformed theology. Just weren't there. So. Um, at that time, even doing things like having a committed churchmanship, having a plurality of elders, having a church that practiced church discipline, uh, serious expository, applicatory preaching, at least in Louisville, was not something that many people held to and, and people thought it more cultic. And I think maybe now what we are regarded more is is quaint or antiquated or um, irrelevant as the ref as Calvinism is is more popularly known at, in regard to what some would call New Calvinism or Neo Calvinism rather than historic confessional uh, reform faith. So. So back then, I mean, people, when you said you were reformed, people didn't know it at all what you meant. In fact, I can remember a guy calling me once and he wanted a reformed pastor. And he, by that, he thought I meant liberal. 
and he thought reform meant liberal. So, um, but today you have, you, you know, it's almost everybody's reformed. And so it went from being nobody was to everybody is. And so it's not uncommon, obviously, you know, you have things like together for the gospel and there'll be 10,000 people there. Whereas in 1990, if you had a conference that had three or 400, you were tempted to become a post-millennial. You know, you, you thought uh, that, you know, this is, uh, this is <laughs> wonderful, you know. Uh, and now, again, that's viewed as, as old and antiquated. You know, so um, we are, you know, some people I think today, again, would consider us more like you're, you're your grandpa's church. I mean, some of us guys still wear neckties when we preach and use hymnals and uh, and, and that sort of a thing. Um, and so it's interesting now. I mean, while we were the you know one of the few churches in town back in the day here in Louisville that would have held to the doctrines of grace. There's dozens of churches that do so now. And when students used to come to Southern. Uh, they would come and visit our church because we were it. I mean, if you wanted a reform ministry in 1994, 1995, 1996, we were basically it. Uh, and that's no longer the case now. I mean, there's so many that people wouldn't even, I mean, many times don't even know who we are. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, the challenges seems to have changed as you've been speaking about them. Yeah. And uh, you can continue to speak challenges as we flip the coin now and talk about blessings or benefits as well. So feel free to speak to either of them. Yeah. Um, you know, if, let me just pick up a little bit more on some of the challenges because the challenges have changed, particularly 30 years in. So 30 years ago, you're trying to establish yourself. You're trying to set doctrinal boundaries. You're trying to explain what a church is, what worship is, what an eldership is. And then you get into what are more now maybe the middle years. And, and the challenge is to maintain doctrinal integrity as the church grows. Because when we began, we we're relatively small. Everyone knew the same things. Everybody read the same books. Everybody had heard the same messages. And how do you bring people in who, who don't necessarily know all of those things? They haven't heard all of those things and allow them to come into a confessional framework when they themselves may not fully understand what that is or what that means, but they're drawn to the preaching. They like the preaching. They like the people who are here. And so that challenge of maintaining doctrinal integrity while deepening in your walk with the Lord while trying to maintain a Catholicity of spirit where you can have narrow convictions, but broad affections, and even to some degree broader associations that you couldn't have had uh, in the past uh, without losing your identity. You know, so sometimes the fear is if you partner with other ministries or appreciate other ministries, you're going to begin to lose a sense of your own identity. And I think the challenge is that while you have your confessional identity, that your preeminent identity is in the gospel, it's in your love for Christ, and that's what you share more broadly. And, and, and you've got to be careful. I had to be careful because I would uh, sometimes be uh, 
I realized too often I was trying to make guys more Calvinist or Reformed Baptist than first and foremost robust Christians. And I found sometimes even when I was fellowshipping with other brothers, I, I, I would think, well, what book can I give them or what can I do to move them along with Reformation rather than learn from them or encourage what's going on? I do think, you know, the Reformed faith is another challenge. Sometimes it attracts people who are of a certain doctrinal mindset. And sometimes their doctrinal mindset is ahead of their Christian graces and particularly ahead of the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. And they're so enamored with some of the harder aspects uh, of of which, you know, Reformed folks aren't afraid to talk about the holiness of God, the wrath of God, the judgment of God. But then sometimes actually becomes suspicious if you talk about the joy of the Christian life or love for Christ or having a heart for the lost or, you know, those kinds of things. So th those are some challenges that you wound up having that it just, you know, as, as culture, as the inner culture changes and the Reformed culture changes, where you went from uh, being odd and alone to being more certain aspects, more mainstream. Uh, but again, reform, uh, particularly the stronger, uh, more robustly doctrinal churches sometimes tend to attract people who uh, are more enamored with, you know, maybe sometimes that uh, tithing dill, mint and cumin, which they should do but neglecting the weightier matters of the law. And so that can be a challenge today. So trying to hold, you know, it's not holding tension or balance because it's all the scriptures and the scriptures aren't at war with themselves. It's both, it's both and. Uh, so that, you know, to promote uh, love and joy and peace through the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God is, is not meat and drink, but, uh, righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit, and trying to promote that while again maintaining your, you know, the truths haven't changed. I, I haven't changed one bit of my doctrinal convictions in 30 some years. Uh, I think though I have, uh, I, I'm trying to understand other elements that I may have neglected uh, <clears throat> in the past and trying to be a, a, a fuller orbed Christian man and a fuller orb churchman and a fuller orb preacher of the gospel. And so, you know, my determination uh, over the years to say, you know, I need to ensure that I'm preaching the gospel and that I'm preaching justification by faith, uh, that I am doing in this sense, the work of an evangelist and pointing people much more to the finished work of Christ and not you know, I don't know how I want to phrase this. There, there was a time when I, I, I focused so much on self-examination and it was much more often that people would leave either under conviction or doubting that they were Christians rather than rejoicing in the finished work of Christ on their behalf. And I focused too much on what we do for Christ rather than fixating on what Christ has done for us, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, under, I understand what you're getting at. Yeah, so 
So thank you for uh, hope. I think our listeners do as well. I think yeah. you put that in a way that is understandable. Yeah. So let me take about some so, of the joys. So there's lots of yeah, joys. Absolutely. <laughs> I have the joy of pastoring people that come into a, a setting where there's a lot of agreement and where uh, people come wanting you and expecting you to do nothing other than open up, proclaim, and apply the word of God. As one old man said, 16 ounces to the pound. I mean, give it all. Don't hold back. Don't fear our faces. Tell us the truth. Tell us what we need to hear. Deal with our hearts. And so they're not offended when you do that. They're not offended when you, if you challenge. And so we may get into this a bit more later, but, you know, I think one of the real challenges of reformed people today is to ensure that you are preaching to your own congregation, that you know and love your own congregation. And what I mean by that is that it's very easy right now to score points and to be considered faithful by dealing so much with the sins that are out there. So, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you know, whether it was the Arminians do this or the church growth gurus do this or the homosexual lobby or Hollywood or it's liberals. And the reality is I don't have those people in my congregation. Uh, it's And while it can sound bold and brave to address those things, I think the real courage comes in being able to look at so that if you have, for instance, a materialistic church, or if you have a, a lot of guys in your church struggling with porn, guys and girls, or if you have people that are divisive, if you have people that are unloving, people that are ungrateful, people that don't show hospitality, or people who like to examine the faults of others, because it can be very comforting to examine the faults of others. And there's a lot of fault out there. There's a lot of bad doctrine out there. And if we wanted to have ministry that focused on, on people's errors, we could do it all day long. But we need to understand that as pastors, we are called to shepherd our own flock. And I'm not saying bury your head in the sand. And if there are dangers out there, we need to be watchmen on the wall and announce the dangers. But we also have to deal with the danger within. I have had the greatest griefs to my pastoral life have not come from liberals outside. It hasn't come from woke folk. It's come from narrow-hearted reformed people who are bitter and divisive in my own congregation. That's caused far greater grief when people don't love each other and forgive each other and apply the gospel. That's done far more damage to our life and threatened the presence of the Holy Spirit far more than anything happening in the White House or in California or on the television screen or on TBN or with the charismatics or, you know, whatever other target that's out there. I mean, to me, that's like shooting fish in a barrel. It's easy to do and you sound heroic, but the hard work is to deal with our own hearts, our own love, our own peace, our own unity, our own striving after Christ's likeness. So that's my that's one of my passions. And if I have opportunity to bend the ears of younger pastors and maybe listen to them every once in a while and 
and it's very easy early on to want to aggressively, you know, set ourselves apart from everybody else, but to realize that, yes, announce who you are, nail your colors to the mass, teach your doctrine, uh, and hold fast to the pattern of sound words, but at the same time, know your own flock, love your own flock, and proclaim the truth to your flock, not to the flock you don't have. I hope that makes sense. All right, there's my Absolutely, I'm brother. Off, I'm off my soapbox, but uh, go ahead. No, absolutely. And in, in that last answer, you mentioned that that's one of your passions, and hopefully our listeners can hear the passion coming out in your, your heart for yeah. uh, sharing your heart for younger pastors and uh, as you give advice to how to shepherd the flock of God that you are a pastor of. So we've talked now some about uh, the challenges and the benefits. And when I asked you, what is a Reformed Baptist church? You said that one thing that really distinguishes a Reformed Baptist church is that they are those that confess the second London confession of faith. So um, how can a pastor utilize creeds and confessions in the church he pastors? Well, I I think there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, So one of the things that we've done over the years uh, is that what we did for years, I'll tell you what we did for years, and I'll tell you how we, what we've recently come to, and then I'll tell you what we're thinking about doing. Okay, so a little three-part. So what we did was at least every five years, we taught straight through the confession of faith in a Sunday school class, the adult Sunday school class. Uh, So we would go through chapter by chapter. Uh, Sometimes we would do it more thoroughly. So it might take 50, 60 weeks. Uh, Sometimes we would try to do it a little bit more uh, quickly, succinctly, and, and try even sometimes to do one chapter a week. So it would do... We could maybe do it in, in 32, 33, 34, 35 weeks. Some, some of the chapters you just can't, no matter how quick you're trying to do or succinct you're trying to be, it's going to take more than a week to deal with some of those. So that's what we did for years. And then what we decided to do was in our adult Sunday school class, we, we took the first Sunday of every month to teach in the confession. So uh, every, you know, so first Lord's Day every month, we would go consecutively through. I most often taught that, but others did as well, but it was mostly me. So every month, 12 times a year, we were uh, in the confession. And if that took five years, I think it took five years to go through it the first time. And then we immediately started going through it again. So ended one week, started chapter one. So that way, if a new member came, Wherever they were, if they're in the church for five years, they're going to go through the whole confession. So we're after COVID, we, you know, we've been talking about rethinking our how we're doing Sunday school. And one of the ideas we came up with, because we want to continue to make sure that people who are, have been here for a long time are remembering what what we teach doctrinally and new people can be schooled in it is that we've kicked around the idea of maybe once a month teaching or preaching a topical sermon, maybe in the evening uh, on one of the themes of the confession. So that, so do one on the Holy scriptures or do a series of preaching on the, on on the nature of God and the Trinity Uh, do one on the Christ, the mediator do, do a message on the decrees of God and 
take one of the premier texts in the confession, a scriptural text, preach that text, and then weave into it some of the confessional truths. So that's something we've done. Another thing that we've tried to remember to do is if we are preaching on a subject and remember that the confession touches on this, then go ahead and utilize that in the preaching. So I, I think that a regular reminder, uh, so that if you're talking about the sufficiency of Scripture or something like that, you you quote the text, you know, uh, uh, the, the you know the scriptural text, but then also you can take the confession and weave some of those confessional truths in or sprinkle confessional truths in. So that's something that we've tried to do. Uh, we have also begun uh, catechizing in not just the young people's classes, but in the adult class as well. Uh, so that's a Sunday school thing that we're doing. So I think those are at least a few ways. Uh, you know, I think try to be creative, but I think you need to find a way that you know, these these doctrines are, <coughs> excuse me, as best they can be, are understood and celebrated by and mass by the whole congregation. Mm. Yes, that was very helpful uh, for me, and I'm sure it will be for our listeners as well. Um, continuing to carry the conversation along, what training would you recommend for one who aspires to pastor? within a Reformed Baptist church? Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, Austin. What else? No, what? So I have to say that to get my, I get paid 30 cents a year for being uh, on the board. of <laughs> Just kidding. It's 25. Um, no, we, we uh, I think the most important thing a man can do is to be a part, be a part of the kind of church that you want to pastor be under the kind of ministry you want to, in a sense, replicate, if I can use the word imitate. I think that's a biblical expression. Find pastors that are the kind of men you want to be who preach the way you want to preach, who love a congregation and serve the congregation you want to do. You're going to learn best by being a part of and really be a part of that congregation. The, the other thing that you, I mean, I'm going to give several things. That's the first thing I would say. The second thing you need to do is encourage you, seek to master your English Bible. Uh, read, 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 read the word. Uh, get to be, they said, of, I think it was the statement made of Bunyan, prick him anywhere, and he bleeds Bibline, uh, that he bleeds Bible. Uh, get to know your Bible. Get to know God, get to know the heart of God, uh, because you're going to be conveying the grandeur of God and, and the character of God to your people. Uh, Jeremiah said, or the Lord says through Jeremiah, let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows and understands me, you know, that I am the Lord. And, and he goes on to describe what he's like. Uh, we, our people need that. They need to know who God is, they need to be anchored in the person and work in work of Christ. So get to know, get to know your Bible, get to know your God, get so that you, when I say that you understand God, you understand what he's like, understand what he loves, understand how he loves his people. When Paul said that when he preached the gospel, he said, as though God were entreating through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
I mean, to have that kind of ministry, it really, you're conveying the voice of God, the heart of God, if I can use that expression, uh, in that. And then it's, a, it's extremely important that you develop and cultivate a love for God's people, particularly the more vulnerable among God's people, uh, the not just the people that are easy, uh, not just the people that like to talk about theology, but the kind of people that are going to need you most when you become a pastor. You've got to cultivate, learn to love, learn to open your home, open your heart, open your wallet, uh, create pockets of time to spend with people, because that's really what a shepherd is. And then after all that, cultivate your theological mind so that you can accurately open the word of God. So I always want to say, you know, so you, what you want to learn to do is, you know, so when you preach, you have to keep several groups in mind. So first is you preach in the sight of God in Christ. So that means you need to be able, first of all, to open up the mind of God in the scriptures accurately. So whatever it takes that you can do accurate exegesis, you need to be able to do that. You don't want to convey something that's not true to God's people. You want you need to fear that. You need to know. That's why I'm saying. So I say, you know your Bible, know God, and know the tools that will help you to understand the scriptures. Uh, and then don't be afraid uh, of what the scriptures say. Proclaim it uh, to the people. Secondly, you've got to remember you're preaching to God's people, and that means that it needs to be things like simple and clear, illustrative. It doesn't matter how true what you say is if it's not understandable. It has to be understandable. It has to be relatable. And it, and it should be filtered through a, a heart of love. You know, those people ought to know you love them and you care for them and that you're striving to help them to understand the word. And that means as well, giving them the gospel. Do the work of an evangelist is a passage given to a pastor in ministry to his flock. Do the work of an evangelist, that is, preach the evangel, give the gospel, preach Christ to your people week in and week out, not just tacked on to the end of a sermon, but preach Christ and him crucified to your congregation. And then also remember that there are lost people in your con in the in and so learn to develop. If you haven't, if you haven't developed a heart for lost people, um, if you're going to be in ministry, to have a heart that pleads and, and one that prays and yearns to see Christ formed in people, both converted and unconverted. So I think those are the main things that I would say somebody needs. So the, the theological cultivation, which I know a lot of us would focus on, whether it's formal training, utilizing a seminary, the benefit of something like Covenant Baptist Theological is that it allows you uh, to maintain your relationship with your church, uh, to be mentored by your pastor, while you also train your mind to understand systematic theology, the Greek and Hebrew exegetical tools, and gain some homiletical skills uh, to be able to accurately open God's word with clarity to his people. Hmm. Yeah, those are good uh, recommendations for training. Um this question is somewhat similar. I'm going to actually lump two of them together. Okay. And so the first part of the question is, what advice would you have for a younger pastor of a Reformed Baptist church? And then what advice would you give to a younger pastor who is reforming 
an established church. So feel free to answer that however you would like. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, the, the, for both of them, I, I would say you need to ensure that you, you keep the main things, the main thing. So, you know, the old saying is, you know, the plain things are the main things and the main things are the plain things. The temptation early on is to focus so much on the things that distinguish you that may, that are in the Bible, but they're not the main point of the Bible. And so like, you know, it can be so that early on, it's like, every, you know, the, the typical thing, every message is one of the five points of Calvinism or that when you preach something like, you know, so you're preaching through John and you come to John three sixteen, God so loved the world. And then you spend most of your time explaining what the world is in such a way that you want to make sure that it's narrowed only to the elect, lest people get an idea, you know, rather than, but, and while, you know, that's okay in a sense, but you're missing the main point of that text. The main point of that text is that God loved the world and that if anyone believes in Christ, he's going to have eternal life. And if you, if you're, if you're so intent on giving Calvinism that you miss the love of God and the promise of the, of eternal life, then you're off message. You know what I mean? So you you got to be careful that you're you're not so caught up with your distinctives that you miss main things or that you're, that every week is not a theological lecture. Preaching is not a seminary lecture. Uh, that it, and so if you're missing the warmth and the application, if you're, if, if your folk come away with, you know, very full minds that, uh, then don't, don't allow them to, that doesn't work itself out and a heart of worship, a heart of love for others, or a heart that is humble. I mean, of all things, the doctrines of grace, we say this all the time, humble us. And yet, brother, you know it, I know, some of the proudest people in the world are Calvinists. And so you you somehow, you're, you're teaching the essence of it, but you're missing the heart of it. And I think that's maybe easier to do when you're young. I know I did. So I'm talking about myself. I am outing myself in that. Um, so I miss sometimes the bigger things in scripture. Uh, and again, you know, whether again, what Jesus said, tithing, dill, mint, and cumin and neglecting the weightier matters of justice and love and mercy. And, you know, seeing certain things that are so important, like love among the brethren, uh, and even that holiness works itself out relationally. Uh, you know, some of the greatest applications in the Word of God, the premier applications or most of the applications in the Word of God in the New Testament are relational. And so that matters, cultivating love among the brethren, unity among the brethren, compassion for people who differ, a gentleness with those who differ, uh, a heart of prayer. Uh, you know, if, if our churches aren't given over to prayer with all this lofty theology, then there's there's a gap. Something isn't connecting rightly. So those are some of the things. And a second thing I would say is cultivate relationships with older pastors. Listen to older pastors. Uh, let an old man, you know, drone on a little bit. Uh, don't think... I the joke is I knew far more when I was 27 than I do now when I'm 58. 
I, I talked to a group of kids the other day and I said, kids, be happy. You are never going to know more in your whole life than you do right now. Now's the time you know everything. And when I got here, I knew everything. I knew, I knew how to do church. I knew how to do church discipline. I knew how to preach. I, I knew everything. And, but I didn't. And you know, the older you get, you know, sometimes the more it's okay to sometimes say, you know what? I don't know. Or I'm going to seek counsel. And particularly if you're, if you don't have other elders, uh, and, and if you're young, don't look just for younger elders that you can mold into your image. Find older men that will challenge you. Allow older men to speak into your life. Don't be afraid of that. Um, and don't be afraid of, of other gifted men who will come along and be, oh, no, the people start to love them more than you. It's not a, it's not a popularity contest. You know, your desire is that the sheep will be fed. And if somebody can feed the sheep better than you, then they can feed them, then rejoice in that, because that's what you really want, right? I mean, I want to feed them, but if somebody feeds them better, then I want to utilize that gift. Um, so I think those are just a few things that I would say. And then also, brothers, maintain your heart. Uh, understand your that you are not indispensable. You're allowed to take some time off. Uh, you are allowed to rest and understand. This is something very important. You are not God and you cannot affect the behavior change that you long to see. There's a very real sense in which the proverb, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. There's a, I, I used to feel guilty that I couldn't make people drink. I felt guilty that the word that I preached publicly or privately didn't always have the effect. And I viewed that as my fault, that if I were a better preacher, if I were a better pastor, if I were more loving or more prayerful, they would have changed. You need to remind yourself, Jesus had 12 men under his ministry. After three years of being under his ministry, one of them died an apostate, and the 11 others would often fight among themselves. That wasn't the fault of the ministry they were under. They had the best pastor in the world. Uh, the, the people that sat under Moses' ministry for 40 years had stiff necks. You can't change people. And you need to know the difference between grieving something and feeling guilty over it. I spent too much of my life feeling guilty when really what I needed to feel was a sense of grief. That's okay to feel grief. If the marriage doesn't get fixed, if that relationship you're working on doesn't heal, you don't need to feel guilty. It's not necessarily your fault. You can feel grief over it and take your lament to the Lord. But that grief, that that guilt will weigh you down and may destroy you in the infancy of your ministry. Mm. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom on on advice that you have for younger pastors, both for those that are within Reformed Baptist churches or those who are reforming yeah. established churches. Uh, as we begin to uh, conclude or get closer to the end of this conversation, now I'm interested to know what resources uh, you and others might recommend to those who aspire to pastor or those who are already pastoring within Reformed Baptist churches. Well, I think you know, 
we are living in the we're living in the golden age of information. I mean, there is so much available uh, to you. Uh, now, I, I was I was trained under uh, a pastor named Al Martin. Uh, he taught pastoral theology. They they have just published his pastoral theology in three volumes, uh, and that's readily available. I, I don't know of a finer pastoral theology than that. If you're newer in the ministry, uh, the resources of, of something like Practical Shepherding, that's a ministry I'm involved with, uh, with a man named Brian Croft. Uh, we do a podcast together called Trench Talk. Uh, we have, uh, we uh, mostly he, he, he has, uh, I've helped with some of this. Uh, there's a blog, there's uh, a, about a dozen books with written material uh, to help younger pastors uh, with practical issues, how to. Uh, I think those things can be very helpful. Uh, you know, the, I, I would encourage probably uh, a, a Looking back at some of the things of the past, if you're mostly reading newer things, the hottest guys that are out there, but and, but you've never read Bridges Christian Ministry, or you've never worked through lectures to my students, or you've never read Martin Lloyd Jones Preaching and Preachers, uh, those are some things I would really highly uh, recommend. Many of the resources available through Nine Marks. Uh, are, are very good. I, I, one of the things I appreciated early on with them is that they were not just focusing on soteriology, but they did a good focus on ecclesiology. And they've actually probably done more to spread some healthy ecclesiology or at least point the way than any other ministry that I'm aware of in the last 20 or so years. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for those recommendations. And now to bring this conversation to a conclusion, uh, what final encouragements do you have regarding pastoring a Reformed Baptist Church or anything else that we've alluded to or spoken of? Yeah, I, I think we need to keep in mind the the rich privilege of what we get to do. Uh, ministry is hard. I mean, everybody that talks about ministry is going to talk about how hard it is. But I think we also need to keep in mind that ministries also can be really glorious. To have a part in the, uh, the the salvation under God that you know, and what I mean, the, the keeping, the preserving of God's people through loving them and serving them, serving them by giving them the word, serving them by helping them along, uh, serving them by sometimes that means confronting certain behaviors and lovingly showing them their sin but reminding them of the gospel, reminding them of the hope they have in Christ, reminding them often of how much God loves them. A lot of our folks are, are hurting. They're, they're struggling. These, are, these last months and years have been hard times for many of them. They battle with uh, hopelessness. And, and to remind that, that as we gather together, we gather together in, in, in light of and in view of the reality of the risen Christ. And Paul's capstone to that in 1 Corinthians 15, having expressed that Christ is alive and that he will one day come, is to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And so, brother, your toil is not in vain. 
even if it feels like nobody listened, people were asleep and nobody benefited, uh, keep at it. If you're giving the word and, and you're loving them and you're serving them as unto Christ, uh, it's not in vain. Um, don't lose heart while doing what's good. In due time, you'll reap if you faint not. And, and those exhortations are given. When Paul says it's not in vain, he says that because sometimes we feel like it is in vain. We think, what are we really doing? What's it accomplishing? People are no better off than they were when I first started. Or nobody seems to be changing. Nobody's getting converted. Listen, be steadfast, immovable. Christ is on the throne. Be faithful unto death, really. I mean, just be faithful. Uh, the work, the ultimate work of the ministry, though done through you, is not done by you. Uh, it is God attending by the Holy Spirit and taking your feeble efforts and doing something wonderful. Uh, my fellow pastor just preached on the feeding of the 5,000, and, and he made part of that as part of his application. We, we bring our few fragments uh, in our labors and prayers, and, and, and then Jesus multiplies them and does something wonderful in feeding many through them. So keep your eye on the reward. If Christ is risen, then nothing you do is in vain. So that's my final word of encouragement. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Well, we have been speaking with Pastor Jim Sevastio on the topic of pastoring a Reformed Baptist church. He has given us many encouragements, uh, challenges and benefits to be uh, alert to and resources that uh, are available uh, in light of this topic. So thank you so much, Pastor Sevastio, for taking the time to discuss this important topic. Thanks, Austin. Appreciate you. Thank you for your uh, labors for us. And uh, to our listeners, we hope this conversation has been an encouragement to you. We want to wish you grace and peace. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.